So today is our harvest festival, which is a little odd because it's the middle of winter. A particularly odd time to be having a harvest festival. But here we are. Not much harvest around, although, well, we had Trevor Southey here earlier at the 8 o'clock and he would have told us exactly what harvest was around and what you could grow at this time of year. And for many of us, actually, well, the thought of even being in our garden at this time of year is a terrible thought. It's too cold, too wet. The only thing that seems to be growing in my garden is grass and weeds at the moment. It's probably because I'm not doing anything in it. And then there's the reality that many of us actually don't garden, which is partly why there's grass and weeds in my garden. Our food is available at supermarkets and shops. So why have a harvest festival? That's a good question, so maybe if you'd like to turn around and talk to your neighbour about why are we having a harvest festival? Why now and why have it at all? (laughs) All right, let's hear what you all have to say. We'll start with Clark. Tradition. Tradition. So what's traditional about a harvest festival? Food. So why is that important to you, Clark? The tradition, but not the food. Because it's always been Right. Okay, that's a, fair, that's a fair answer. When I suggested at Vestry we not have a harvest festival... Clark was very clear that it's a tradition, we have harvest festivals and we should continue to have one. So, this morning is partly due to Clark. So, thank you, Clark. Right, it's a good tradition, fair enough, okay. And that's a, that's a good, a good rider. Yep, Bonnie. Uh, we've been thinking a bit about Matariki at school and in our family, and Matariki is partly about celebrating all the food that's now stored for winter. So um, the harvest is not happening right now, but it has happened, and we've got all that we need to get us through the winter. So that may be a reason. Yeah, that's a very good reason. Yes, Ken. Yes, well, we celebrate the harvest every morning and evening when we eat our food. that there are many people in the world who don't. So, here's the food back. Andrea. Um, opportunity to think more about our stewardship of our resources. Right. And what we need. Yep. And that kind of the last special thing, which adds on to what you're saying, the way we need much to not be too much. 
and the one who had little did not have too little. Yeah. So we in this country mostly have enough to survive, mostly, and uh, mostly we have enough to do more than survive, actually, to thrive. Uh, and we have access to medical care and all sorts of good things, and it's easy to take all of that for granted and just to think that that's how it is. But actually, for people in this country and for people all around the world, access to food and to water and to medical care is a very, very difficult thing. I mean, that was brought home to me even in a place like the Solomons where I was moaning that I didn't have my antimalarial drugs and all the other drugs that I take to keep me upright. And then I looked at the person I was telling that to and I went... Actually, he has no drugs because there is no medical facility where he lives. So he has to go miles, like to another island, to get any of that kind of stuff. So I'll just stop whinging and get on with it. Hard enough, John. Just pray the mosquitoes stay away. Which I think they did. So that's, that is an important part of that. So it is about being aware of what we have, but also aware of what others don't have. And and um, joining in God's generosity in that. Anything else? Is it something to do with the <coughs> Hebrews of what brought in the wilderness when they were without food? Ah, uh, that was probably it. Yes, so it was for them looking back to a time of, of not having enough. But it also reminded them that in the wilderness they were entirely dependent on God's generosity. And so are we. You know, um, we need to keep hold of that. All of this is because of God's generosity. I mean, that is a Franciscan thing, that everything comes from God and everything goes back to God. And I think other streams of Christianity sometimes lose that. But it is an important part of that, that everything comes from God. And we, you know, even the things that we have, we hold in stewardship. They're not ours. We hold them in stewardship. And there are, there are times when we actually need to let them go, even, even where that's difficult. The one other thing about the harvest, I would say, is also about matariki. Uh, so I think it is good that we're doing ours at this time of year. Because one of the, thing, one of the other things about matariki is that it was when, the, when those cluster of stars appeared in the dawn sky, it was the sign that the land needed to be prepared for the kumra. Not planted yet, but preparing the soil. And that reminds us that a good harvest is dependent on good soil, well-tended soil. Soil that is looked after. This earth that we live on, that we grow our food in, depends on us to look after it. Ultimately, this planet is God's ultimate gift to us. Well, one of the ultimate gifts to us. That we are able to live here. And living in the Bay of Plenty, we live in this place of amazing plentifulness. Um, traditionally, this was a food basket for Aotearoa. The Māori who lived here were amongst the most wealthy because of what they could grow here and what they could export. So, But this is not ours. This is God's land. And we need to care for it, both because it is God's gift to us, but also, if we don't care for it, there will be no harvest. And that's, that's a good thing to remember, that we rely on this planet to survive. So harvest festivals remind us of all of that. And that's about the first three pages of my sermon. <laughs>
In all of this, we think about a generous God. A generous and compassionate God. The same God we meet in the Gospel stories of Jesus. The same generosity, the same compassion. We heard in our two stories this morning about that compassionate and generous God. When we think about the harvest and we, when we think about those stories, um, we are reminded again of those two questions that we have been thinking about over the last few weeks that have been posed by the Gospel readings. What might we compare the Kingdom of God with? And who is this man? So let's keep those two questions in mind as we just briefly look at this morning's Gospel reading. Now the two people in our Gospel reading this morning are people who would normally not have had very much to do with Jesus at all. They were both people of means, which meant they were people of honour, which is important in the Middle Eastern world. And Jesus was not somebody of means, and he was not somebody of honour. His papa said that he came from a lowly family who lived in Nazareth, which was a small hick town, a bunch of caves on a hill up in the hills of Galilee. And people who lived there weren't people of honour. And so because Jesus was of little honour, these two people, the woman and Jairus, would have not had anything to do with him. Now, admittedly, many people were beginning to see Jesus as a rabbi, and that title brought with it a certain amount of honour. So the door was a little bit open, but even so, they would have tried to stay away from him as much as possible. Now, one of the interesting things about Jesus was that he was very different from the itinerant healers and exorcists and rabbis that cruised around Galilee at the time. He wasn't the only person healing people. There are other records in history of great healers in Israel at the time. He wasn't the only person casting out demons. There are records of other people doing that at the time. He wasn't the only rabbi cruising around teaching. There were others doing exactly the same thing. The big difference between him and them was he didn't charge. You could go and see him and be healed, have your demons cast out, hear his teaching for nothing. It was available to everyone, no matter what their means were. And so he was offering everything that he had to everyone for no cost, no strings attached. They just had to turn up. It was a challenge to the economic system of the time. An economic system based around the fact that you paid for your medical care. And if you don't think that was a challenge, just have a look at America, where Obama tried to do the same thing. And where there are still powerful forces who are opposed to him because medical care should not be for free. It should only be available to those who can pay. That's an important basis of some people's economic systems. Hard for us to fathom, and they're still going through that. It's just gone through the Supreme Court. Can this actually happen? So Jesus was a challenge in many ways. And so we have these two, Jairus and the woman. The woman, who was a woman of means, who had spent all that she had on those who offered healing at a price. 
Now, that immediately that line, which we kind of gloss over, actually says a lot about it. She was a woman with money. Most of the people that had something to do with Jesus, they had enough money to buy the food for the meal at the end of the day, if they were lucky. His story about paying the labourer, that is all about the labourers need the pay at the end of the day so they can buy the food for their family. They don't have money to spend on doctors. That is beyond their imagination. Medical care for them is not something they even think about. You can't access it. You don't have the money. But she had money and had spent money on these doctors for 12 years. And at the end of that 12 years, she was still no better. In fact, she was worse. Worse than that, because of her illness, she is still ritually unclean, which means she is separated from her community and God. She is seen by all, including herself, as being judged by God. This is because of something she has done and she is being punished. She has exhausted all her resources and she has nowhere else to go. She is without hope. And Jairus, a man overwhelmed with grief, watching his daughter die, who again will have spent money on these professional healers. And they too have been able to do nothing. They have preserved the status quo of ill health. And the only help he is now offered is by the gathering mourners who will ensure that she is farewelled well. So they are both desperate. Absolutely desperate. And in their desperation they come to this unusual rabbi who doesn't charge. And they risk a lot doing so. The woman, well, she risks punishment. Punishment for being out in public unchaperoned. Punishment for defiling all those she comes in contact with. And punishment for daring to touch the clothes of a man she has no family relationship with. This is the Middle East. The same rules applied then as do now. Women don't go around touching men they don't know. So she risks a lot to be there and to do what she does, which is why she tries very hard to stay anonymous. And the man, well, he abases himself in front of Jesus. He doesn't just go to him, but he lowers himself below him. And in doing so, risks losing honour and his standing in his family and community because of it. And both are met in their desperation by Jesus' mercy and generosity and compassion. Unlike everyone else that they have gone to for help, Jesus cares. He doesn't respond because he's being paid to respond. He's not a professional who is doing this because they've given him money. He does it because that's who he is. He cares for them. He responds to them with compassion. And in that moment of compassion and healing, 
They meet God's mercy and generosity and compassion, all of which is offered for free, no strings attached. So we are reminded again about questions. Who is this man? And with what might we compare the kingdom of God? And we might even add a question. What is our place in the kingdom? Today we celebrate our harvest. Because harvest festivals are important, as Clark reminds us. They are good traditions. They offer us an opportunity to give thanks for our harvest. They offer us an opportunity to give thanks for all those who grow food, both those of us who are here, who know the joy of growing food and of eating the food that we have grown, but also giving thanks for all those farmers who grow food here in this country and around the world, who we rely on to stay alive. And we are reminded of God's generosity in the harvest. And we are reminded of God's provision of this land, this planet. And we hear again of our responsibility to care for that planet and for this land. And more than that, we are reminded to care for all who live in this land with the same compassion and generosity that we experience in the harvest and when we meet Jesus in stories like today's today's stories. The one who heals the desperate and those they love. So some of you will have noticed that we haven't had a confession yet. There wasn't quite the shot looks that we had at 8 o'clock. But I didn't see um, a few looking around. Actually in some parts of the world they don't even do a confession every Sunday. So we're a little unique in some ways. But we now have a time to consider how... We have not given thanks for God's generosity and compassion. How we have not lived with compassion and generosity towards others and this planet. And how we have not cared for this planet. It's all very well to gather and give thanks for the harvest. But how do we live that out the rest of the time? So in a moment we're going to use today's psalm and that will lead us into a time of confession which will be the one in the book. And then we will have an opportunity for those of you who do have uh, produce and things to offer to give thanks for God's goodness by bringing up all that we brought with us this morning. But for now we begin and James is going to lead us with the psalm.